welcome back to the Pocket Coach Podcast. It's good to be back, actually. It's been a minute since I not only posted an episode, but also since I've done a solo talk. And I think it's about time I had a good sit down with you all and did a big share, a vulnerable share about my own life about my own experiences and I think there's no better other way to kick off this next phase of the pocket coach than to do just that. And there's many stories that I can tell and I'm going to stick to sort of my three main points that have been the toughest for me in my life and the lessons that I've taken from them going forward and how they've shifted my life. Also, I want to share with you what I've done in order to get out of the anxiety and the depression that I was experiencing, that I was diagnosed with, that I was pushed to take medication for, and I didn't. And then also my intentions for this podcast going forward, and as well as 2021, is there's some fantastic things I can't wait to share with you guys at the end. But for now, I just want to dive straight into... dive. Dive straight. <laughs> this podcast is raw for a reason. We keep it that way. But dive straight into then versus now. My own experiences with anxiety and depression and what I got out of them. Now, I've actually shared a few of these things in some old episodes. Uh, if you have ever listened to my very first episode from Shy to Showy, and I remember being cooped up literally in my wardrobe in Quebec. This was just over two years ago now. And I remember using my Rode Mic Pro, which is literally a YouTube, um, well, it's not YouTube microphone, but it's a, it's a DSLR microphone but that I was using for YouTube and I didn't have anything else. It had great sound. So I decided to coop myself up in the wardrobe because every other area in the house was echoey and close the doors and so I was in complete darkness couldn't see anything and I hit the record button and just spoke and it started off really well I ran into many bumps along the way with the podcast many things happened in my life many roadblocks is of course it's it's normal it's life right and now here we are (laughs) so it's been a journey uh the pocket coach has been on a crazy journey for sure we've um, been to some mansions for recording episodes. We've um, spoken to people that have literally changed my life and have been a big inspiration to me. We've spoken to some big shots. We've spoken to some, uh, you know, general uh, your general Joe, um, as people might see them from the outside, but I definitely don't see them that way. Uh, and we've of course heard from me, your boy Keza. So, <laughs> without further ado. I just want to share my three toughest experiences and what I learned from them. And my very first one that stands out for me, uh, and I'd call it more of a broad experience because it's my collective experience of middle and high school, so middle school and high school. And I remember feeling a lot of depression in school. Um, It sort of started more around my... Uh, it was sort of showing around maybe junior school as well. So my first six years of school from five to 11, a little bit. But it really started to show in middle school. I remember feeling very lonely most of the time, uh, feeling very confused, constantly zoning out as well. 
as disassociation is a common theme to avoid uh, that occurs in people that have experienced trauma. And trauma doesn't need to be something with a capital T, right? Doesn't need to be the fact that like that maybe someone is abused, or doesn't need to be um, a specific situation that has occurred. Trauma can be a lowercase t and still have the same impact, and that's just someone's association with life, right? So, for example, for myself, I never really had anything drastic happen per se that I could reflect on. Um, no, like my family was amazing to me. I'm very, very lovely and um, very safe life growing up. Uh, it was just more my association with life and I just felt this deep sadness and I didn't know why and I feel like that made it almost worse the fact that I didn't know why I just wanted a reason and I just remember being so confused about it and uh, I'm reflecting on a parent-teacher interview that I had for my with my year seven teacher which is the first year of intermediate here in New Zealand uh, so seventh year of school and um, you're about 11 or 12 years old and I remember with my mum sitting there with my teacher I'm not going to say the name and <laughs> I remember him saying uh, so Kieran's a lovely kid but he seems more interested in the butterfly outside than he does in the class <laughs> so that was he literally said that right to my mum, right in front of my face. Um, and of course, he meant it very sweetly and genuinely. But um, it really got to me. I'm, I was not even real. I didn't even realize that I disassociated myself that much. But when I started to reflect on it, I was able to come to terms with this truth of the fact that I continued to zone out, and this continued honestly for the entirety of school. Um, I, I struggled in school, honestly. Um, my friends make a joke of um, me and my French, um, although I lived in Quebec City, uh, where I learned a bit more French. But during middle school, I remember in year seven in particular, we were learning um, <laughs> uh, some basics, like yes, no, the numbers, and all that sort of thing. And I think my teacher asked me how many I got right out of a 10 question quiz that she did with us and I got of course well, at the time I was so disassociated with life I got I literally got zero out of 10 um, and it was so simple but I got everything wrong and um, we were to mark them off ourselves and she asked each of us to say in French what number out of 10 we got and it went around the class in like 10 out of 10 9 out of 10 so dis neuf we <laughs> set uh, all those different French numerals and, um, uh, sorry, numbers, numerals. It's not, they don't have their own numerals. Um, and it got to me. <laughs> she asked me what I said. I'm like, non. <laughs> I'm trying to use a French accent. And literally the whole class just laughed at me. I remember so clearly. And um, I can laugh about it now, but I was so embarrassed and, I had many embarrassing moments that I can just get go through. I read about anyway. She asked me, "What?" And I'm like, "Uh, zero. <laughs> I tried to say it in a French accent again. She's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Un zero." <laughs> Literally putting my hand into an okay position to try showcasing the zero, because she was trying to get me to actually speak French, and the class just kept laughing at me. Um, and till this day, my friends jokingly, and I, I love it. I, I find it funny now, but at the time I was really embarrassed. 
and uh, my friends would just sometimes go to me, hey, Kieran, un zero! Because <laughs> um, it's actually hilarious to think back. That literally means a uh, zero, um, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it just didn't flow very well when I said it then. But um, yeah, I just had so many uh, experiences where I wouldn't take in the information that was given to me. I'd be in a conversation with people and I'd lose myself in it. I couldn't communicate properly. And I eventually developed a stutter and a slouch. I would literally slouch at my desk or when I stood. Um, I stuttered on my words, um, trying to have a conversation, especially if it was with a female. <laughs> um, I would stutter and I'd get caught up on everything that I said. I'd be lost in my head constantly. Um, I'd have headaches every now and again which i know was strongly associated with me being in a state of stress a lot um, and i remember pretty much every single morning and afternoon of my first year of intermediate school of middle school i would literally binge watch lord of the rings <laughs> and I, I really mean binge watch i would get up on the bus which was like a 30 minute trip and i'd sit down in the corner and um, on the very edge of the bus away from people and I'd just turn on my Lord of the Rings because I didn't feel comfortable associating with humans <laughs> um, which is crazy to me to think that because I seem so extroverted right and I don't like associating myself between extroverted and introverted I feel a very beautiful balance between the two but at the time I was so afraid of how others would perceive me that I'd try not to interact with them I'd try hide away and I'd just binge watch the Lord of the Rings over and over again from one through to three. Um, good old Fellowship of the Ring to Two Towers to <laughs> um, uh, to Return of the King. And I had the seat, the discs that I'd put into my laptop, sit there on the bus and just watch. I'd get to school before class started. I'd just be sitting there and watching. Sometimes people would come over and you know look at what I'm watching and then go do their own thing. And, um, yeah, sometimes associated with, um, like my friends, cause I had, no, I had some amazing friends once again. Um, like I was always so supported. It's just my interpretation of all of this, uh, when I reflect on it was just completely different to what was actually true. And during this whole time of disassociation, of running away from people, of keeping myself away from everything, even though it was propelled from fear. I was born from fear and pain and sadness. It only created more pain, more fear, more sadness. Because it didn't give me a picture of the truth. It didn't show me that my friends loved me and they do love me so much now even. I'm still friends with some of those amazing people that I got to go to school with during middle school and high school. But my relationship with them is more true now. I can see how much love they have for me and how much they care for me. But at the time, um, I'd feel like the extra person in the group simply because I would always zone out and I wouldn't feel connected with the group. Thus, I created this meaning in my mind that I wasn't connected with them, which was only a self-created belief right, based off my experience. So this is just a real rough summary of sort of what I was like in school. Um, and then come high school, sort of year 12, so my 12th year of school, um, 15, 16, I, I met a, a lovely girl, um, lovely, lovely person, and um, entered a relationship, I definitely had to be 
getting a little push from a mutual friend of ours in order to do that because I was so afraid of good women. I was so afraid of girls. And uh, that actually ended up being a bit toxic, um, not due to us being toxic people, just simply, hey, it's high school. <laughs> um, you know, immaturity, things happen. And um, yeah, a lot of my insecurities came out. And um, yeah, of course, she had her own insecurities and we clashed with our insecurities. And of course, toxicity occurs. So alongside all this, this just amplified my experiences with depression, with mental health. Um, to the point where, and this is nothing to do with her, completely just to do with my own experiences um, expanding, which was I started to kind of wanting to be able to disappear. Uh, never suicidal, never wanting to take my own life, but just simply wanting to disappear. I just had this deep longing to be able to want to fade away into nothingness and just to yeah, be nothing really rather than actually be a life, even though this life is such a fantastic gift and I feel that and I thrive in it now. Back then it was just this, felt like a memory at the time, like I wasn't even a part of life. It was just this memory, just this distant figure. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got some very vivid memories, right, of moments and I've got some complete distant blackness where I was completely disassociated with life that I don't remember a thing and throughout all this um, of me wanting to be able to disappear I um, eventually my parents caught on and they were pretty well aware of what was going on um, as we've got a lot of this in our family a lot of depression I'm not going to name any names and um, a lot of anxiety that goes on and of course there's of course there's some hereditary uh, genes that go on however that's for another time. Speaking about epigenetics, the difference between epigenomes and genomes. So genomes are, of course, the um, genetic coding that goes on within the epigenome is a is to do with the triggering of genomes. So long story short, uh, I can be born with the specific epigenome that leads to the fear of something specific, and that might never ever be triggered. And then I might be born with it and it might randomly be triggered at 20 years old, 5 years old, heck, 60 years old, which is why some people all of a sudden get triggered by something, enter a deep depression and are depressed for the rest of their life at 60 or 30 because of the epigenome, you know. That's science talk for another time. So this really, uh, this really brought out uh, a lot of sadness, of course, and it started to be seen by my family and um, I went to see a counsellor, of course, they told me I had depression and gave me some clarity on these things and it really did help me at the time, like the first couple of times I went to counselling and therapy, it really did help because I started to actually feel heard, it was the first time I'd actually spoken about a lot of this stuff and I finally felt a little bit more normal, I finally felt like my life was actually something that was worth living um like more fully and i started to get a bit more excited about life which was awesome but after a time of constantly going to counseling it stopped working i'd, I'd leave counseling and i'd feel better for a moment and then everything would just come back to me and i was starting to wonder why i wasn't working anymore uh, so continuing on i um 
I, long story short, I left high school after completion, moved down to a place called Queenstown here in New Zealand, opposite of um, where I'm at, which is Auckland, which is where I grew up. And I uh, broke up with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, <laughs> and I finally felt a lot more free, uh, weight lifted off my shoulders. I wasn't, um, we, I wasn't experiencing a lot of that toxicity that was just brewed from the experience. Once again, lovely, lovely person, fantastic human. Uh, it was just the immaturity of us both. And getting away from that gave me a sense of freedom. Now, the reason why I share the story of my middle school and high school experience for a few reasons. First is that, well, I wish I knew other people went through this. I didn't realize how actually quite normal this is, unfortunately. And when I speak about this, many of the people listening might think, man, that was me. I was just like, oh, like these certain qualities were me or whatever it comes up for you. Or you might think, man, that sounds like a bit of a messed up kid. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't matter. It's just being aware of the fact that this is more normal than you think. I'm an anxiety and performance coach. I've worked with people globally. I've worked with many, many people and uh, so many more people than you'd believe uh, share very similar experiences. So many more people than you believe that you went to school with, that you thought were the really confident people and had it all together and were good with the ladies or good with the guys or, or were really popular I guarantee many of the, those people that you thought were doing fantastically had some very deep struggles as well. Because I've definitely had many people that have reached out from middle school and high school just like that, asking for help, asking to talk to someone. Those people that I thought were the most confident people and had it together and I was jealous of them ended up reaching out, which is so beautiful and courageous of them. But I, the reason why I share this is because of how much more normal it is than many people even realize and what i learned during all of this and what i started to actually learn from reflecting on my experiences from deep depression and depression continued for a while i'll talk a bit more about what shifted and why is i learned that the beauty of life is learnt in hardships now after a while and it took me quite a while to realize this but if everything was always a high, there wouldn't be such thing as a high. So if I was always happy, I wouldn't have anything to compare to know that I'm happy. So what I'm getting at is, if there's no darkness, there cannot be any light. If there's no silence, there cannot be any sound. And of course, sound can exist if there's no silence, but I won't hear the sound because there's nothing for the sound to reflect off. There's nothing for the way, the sound waves to reverberate against if there's no silence. Thus, there's no, going to be no comparison between silence and sound. Therefore, I can't hear the sound. Right? And if there's no darkness for the lightness to reflect off, I, can't, I won't be able to see the light. Right? So ultimately, there needs to be that comparison and distinction and In fact, something that I learned a lot more over the course of this year as I've been studying medical neuroscience is the brain operates in comparisons. So the reason why I can see those colors and the shades is because of the comparison between what's around them and the reflection of the light from those specific regions. Uh, And then my brain distinguishes 
the differences in the light that's coming in. And it's through comparison that my brain understands what it is. It's not, it's not through uh, sameness. It's through comparison and difference. So it's ultimately through these opposites that I'm able to understand what is really the quality that I'm experiencing. So to put it simply, the more depressiveness one's been exposed to, the more I started to realize the more joy that one is capable of embodying and experiencing. How beautiful is that? At the end of the day, the more I pull a slingshot back, the further the projectile will fly. The more I stretch a rubber band, the quicker it will fling the other way. So the more depth I can grow with the experience of sadness that I experienced and was willing to open myself up to, ultimately the more expansive my joy became. And eventually I started to experience highs like no one else would around me. And I started to wonder why, although it was very fluctuating and it was very temporary. I could experience these massive highs and then I'll experience these really low lows. And of course, people diagnose this as bipolar. But I, I think putting labels on things can be actually quite detrimental. As with myself, when I was exposed to depression... I put a label on myself saying that, okay, well, I'm depressed. I have depression. And eventually it became, I am depression, right? It's not something that I consciously told myself, but when I said, I am depressed, that's literally an affirmation that I'm saying in my brain. uh, And I'm solidifying this fact that I am depression. And the more I do this, it becomes an identity. And when the brain identifies as something, it protects it. So now when I try to move away from depression... I was stuck in this idea that I am depression. I can't separate from what I am. So because it became me, it became an, I became inseparable with depression. Now, along all this, uh, I put myself in a box. And once I was in the box, I could only learn to live with depression rather than learning how to solve and heal from the depression. Excuse me, but um, <laughs> I just... Oh, there's another one. I just had dinner. Um, so basically from this um, realization of being able to distinguish the depression as an experience rather than as me, I started to gain some freedom. So it was only once I distinguished that, which is why I feel labels are so important to move away from rather than move towards. Because yes, it gives security. Yes, it gives reasoning. Like, oh, this is why I feel that way. Great. But it's also limiting. So initially, it will be helpful. I see that. However, to tell someone, and this was very dangerous for me, to tell someone that that is their um, now identity, this is what they're living with, this is their diagnosis, and they have to be medicated for that, as if something is wrong with them, I think that's very problematic. And that's a big reason why I'm doing this podcast, because a massive percentage of people that jump on SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that I'll speak on a lot more in future podcasts, uh, they actually don't only put a massive strain on the brain and the gut and kill off the microbiome that is essential for serotonin production in the gut, as 90% of serotonin is produced in the digestive, digestive tract. And when you kill off all the microbiome with the pills, 
right? It kills off the serotonin production. So although it stimulates serotonin forced, in a forced way, it reduces the amount that we naturally have. That's problematic. And that's why massive amounts of people that jump on medication either have to increase after a short amount of time and constantly do until they end up on the maximum amount, like many people in my family. Or they end up um, getting even worse and not progressing at all. And both are pretty detrimental, which is why I want to speak about natural processes. Now, I'm not saying if you're on medication to go throw it on the toilet. Please don't. I'm just saying to be aware and understand that medication is meant as a platform, not as a solution. So anyway, that's again for another time. So please continue to utilize medication. Do your own research on this. Um, talk to a specialist about this in the space. And when I'm talking about specialist, I mean maybe a holistic practitioner within psychotherapy or within psychiatry um, and get a little bit more um, in-depth about that. Right, remember, I'm not a doctor. Okay? I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not a psychologist. Right? I, I don't go by the books. I go through mindful processes and scientific processes through my own research experience and from the specialists that I've worked with and the doctors that I've worked with rather than me operating other books specifically. So anyway, now it's going off on a tangent a bit. But going through these experiences of ups and downs just to bring myself back, <laughs> that was really the big lesson of the more I allowed myself to experience the sadness, and I don't mean to bring the sadness in, like go inviting the sadness in, but rather just allowing myself to feel it rather than suppress it, the more happiness started to flow in my life. Isn't that strange? The more sadness I allowed myself to feel, the more happiness I was able to embody. And the same was with anxiety as well, as that came a little bit later. But the more I allowed myself to experience the anxiety that was coming through rather than trying to shut it off, not only did I not fall into a deep spiral of anxiety, when that happened, due to the increased amounts of cortisol and stress hormone that flows and massive amounts of CRP inflammation that flows from my system when I try to reject an emotion, which ultimately actually amplifies it. It actually gives me the opportunity to expand my capacity to work with it. And through that massive amount of capacity that I expand, it's like building a reservoir um, and filling it with liquid. Right? The greater the reservoir, the more water it can hold, right? So the greater amounts of capacity that I expand within through experiencing emotion, the more profound my highs will be. And with the anxiety stuff, I was able to experience more peace due to the ability to uh, able to basically withstand the anxiety that I was experiencing because I allowed myself to feel it. Now, once again, I'm not saying to go out and seek anxiety or to go out and seek sadness. I'm just saying to be open to all of life. Being open to all that comes your way, not just some of it. This is Sadhguru says so perfectly and so beautifully. He says, positive thinking is focusing on one side of life and ignoring the other. But the other side of life will not ignore you. 
That's powerful. Remembering that negativity or the dark side or whatever you want to call it. It does not ignore you as much as you want to ignore it. So even suppressing it and trying to forget about it, not only is it just going to be there anyway, it's like if there was a fire in my kitchen right now, right? Now I could choose to say, oh, no, nah, there's no fire. There's no fire. <laughs> What's going to happen? It's going to eventually burn the house down. And it's going to get me. That's exactly what happens with depression and anxiety and unwanted emotions. It eventually gets you if you try to ignore it and suppress it. Not only that, but it starts to grow, doesn't it? That fire starts to brew. The more hungry the dog is when I caged the dog, right? The more aggressive it becomes over time if I don't address it, if I don't actually allow it the food that it needs, if I don't allow it to just come in and experience life fully, meaning the emotion, if I don't allow myself to experience the emotion fully, I actually stop feeding it. I stop making it thrive because I'm adding fuel to the fire. In other words, adding stress hormone to the already ill experience. So we'll talk more about how that happens. But ultimately, uh, by the end of high school, I started meditating. Uh, I started bringing meditation more into my life a couple of years after that in a more consistent way. This is just sort of an occasional thing, but really, as we'll get to at some stage, meditation saved my life. It really did. It changed my life. Um, and I say it saved my life because if I'd kept going down the route that I was, I don't know if I would be here. Yet here we are, um, talking to you with a smile on my face and from such a genuine and... Uh, and free space which is just which is beyond belief um which would be beyond belief if i was to tell my old self right my younger self that this was how i felt now that was really my first experience that was a long-winded um, way to express it but i wanted to stick to that because i believe i know how normal a lot of this is now my second experience and toughest moment and lesson that came from this was that I lost my friend Caleb Rickard, a very close friend of mine. I was 22, I believe, from memory. And long story short, um, this is a bit of more of a short story, but I was um, living in Australia at the time. I'd only just come back to New Zealand. And, and I'd actually met this man, Caleb, uh, through an old waitering job that I'd been doing when I was 19, I think it was. It's when we first met. So we'd known each other for three years. And um, he, <laughs> one night, as he was showing me the ropes of waitering, he asked me, hey, bro, you want to go for a smoke? I'm like, heck yeah. I'd only really smoked weed once in my life. And I was like, yep, sweet, let's do it. So we went and, um, yeah, please don't arrest me. Um, <laughs> we went and hotboxed my car at the time and then went and got McFlurries. I remember winding down the window to say our order and smoke just flew out. And um, yeah, we used to do this every weekend, just go and hotbox my car uh, for a while. And then uh, we ended up getting girlfriends together and we went through the same issues together and uh, we just experienced all, this, all these different shifts in our own lives together. And I remember him sharing with me the anxiety that he experienced. 
and he was very open about it, which is beautiful, and he's very open with me, and I was so appreciative of it. I remember him showing me the music that he did as well, and man, such a talented dude, um, but I could see he was caught up in a lot. And anyway, long story short, uh, I went away for a bit to complete university and um, uh, continued a bit of work over in Australia. And then I came back to New Zealand and I hadn't quite seen him yet, although I'd been on a couple of trips back to New Zealand during that time for his birthday and for a couple of other things. Because uh, he was very dear to me. Very, you know, I loved him very much. I love him very much. And anyway, I came back to New Zealand, set up my job. It had been maybe a week or two weeks maybe since I'd been back or maybe a little bit longer, um, honestly, actually. But um, we'd been in touch really briefly over the phone. We just texted. And... I remember um, asking if he could hang out the next week and he messaged back and um, oh yeah, and I asked him like how he was and all that sort of thing. Sorry, that's right. And he texted back and said, man, things aren't doing too good, eh? So I messaged back to him and I'm like, man, okay, well, let's catch up um, this week. And I didn't hear back from him. And a few days later, I got a call from a mutual friend of ours that we both used to work with. And... He'd took, taken his life. Um, yeah, pretty pretty dark, eh? Um, but quite honestly, I don't feel the deep sadness that I used to there. I actually feel a lot of gratitude. And I'm obviously not grateful for um, him going through that. What I'm grateful for is what is life meant for me. What I'm grateful for is what he taught me. What I'm grateful for is how he's actually made my life more profound through the lessons that he's given me. That's what I'm grateful for. So Caleb Rickard, I'm so damn grateful for you, brother. And I love you. And this man, yeah, I remember going to his funeral and um, I bottled up for a while anyway, going to his funeral and um, thinking to myself during that moment, I need to do something about this. I need to be more open about my own experiences. I need to be loud. I'm going to make something happen. And from that day, I started on the path of being more open about my own mental health experiences. I started to be more open. It's thanks to him that I am, honestly. It's thanks to him that I'm on this path. And he really taught me the value of being open about mental health. He taught me the value of what it means to be completely honest about what's going on within. He taught me so much. And that for me was a big lesson, a tough memory, yet a massive lesson. And I can still think back to him this day. And his, the thought of him just drives me constantly to do what I do. So um, I also have a dream. I have had this dream since... I found out the news that I wanted to do something in memory of Caleb Rickard and that's still a goal of mine and I will do that one day and it's to actually build a mental health community, one that's very open and receptive and very easy to approach, um, a non-profit of course and in memory of Caleb Rickard and that's going to happen. Uh, but anyway, long story short, um, I was 24 living in Quebec, I was on my phone going through Instagram and I saw a person's Instagram and I didn't even know they knew this new Caleb. I had no idea. Yet 
randomly uh, a picture of Caleb popped up on her this girl's Instagram and it said miss you angel I'm like whoa Caleb what <laughs> you scucks no um, but no I know they were just real good friends and um yeah um it just made me think man what am I doing because I remember at the time I was so lost and confused about my um, journey in life I just recently tried to start a party boat business um, in San Diego I was caught up in that um, and then I'd recently have had ditched that honestly because I had a mini epiphany talking to a friend realizing that I would not be happy doing a party boat business I literally um, the person I was going to go on business with had already had got the party boat I'd already uh, managed to get the loan uh, approved to do it which was twenty thousand dollars of an investment i'd written the massive business plan i'd sorted things with the lawyer and i was just in the midst which is why i was living in quebec of uh sorting a visa so i could live in america and do this and when i had this epiphany it's like all of a sudden i was in nothingness again i was so confused and lost out of direction clinging on to the girl i was in a relationship with at the time in quebec and leaning on her and definitely being unfair in that way and through all this when i saw his image pop up boom i remembered my initial thought being at his funeral and thinking i'm going to do something about this and that's when i started anxiety coaching she was 23 at the time yeah so about a year and a half later and um yeah i remember thinking okay let's do it mental health coaching that's something i want to get into but first i need to sort my shit out <laughs> excuse the french so that's what i started to do i jumped on the path of of healing of going into mindfulness and that's how we came to where i'm at started studying neuroscience right so now we combine the two worlds of spiritual and science um, of neuroscience and mindfulness and it's such a profoundly rewarding uh career that i'm in um coaching people from all over the globe and helping them break through anxiety and depression the same way that i did helping them to step into higher versions of themselves more courageous and confident and stronger self-esteemed versions of themselves so they can thrive in life the same way that i also get to just so beautiful and I uh, couldn't be, I couldn't ask for a more rewarding job, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I really thank Caleb for helping me find this path. And now, my third toughest memory and lesson was while well, my anxiety journey. So, as I briefly touched on, I was going through a lot of anxiety um, in Quebec, and that actually initially started when I was um, living in Sydney at the time. So, that sort of time period where i said i was living in australia i was 20 years old and i remember this so clearly this is my first ever panic attack and i might have had one earlier but this is my first to my memory because it was so vivid and i was so confused as to what was happening my girlfriend at the time was cooking dinner and lovely evening i think i'd probably just watched anime or something i don't know <laughs> i love my anime and all of a sudden I was sitting on the couch and I just started curling up into the fetal position on the corner of the couch on the other side of the room 
in this granny flat that we were living in. And I just started freaking out. I started rocking back and forth and I just started freaking and hyperventilating. And my girlfriend at the time came over and asked me what was wrong. She was trying to take care of me and I was just there repeating the words, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And she, she kept asking and I was just, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And I was just so confused as to why I felt this way. Anyway, eventually it's passed. I was very lucky to have her there and um, she took care of me. And since then, uh, I didn't really have many episodes until a lot later when I was in Quebec, about 23 years old. And this was after a massive partying scene up in San Diego and (laughs) Las Vegas. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stories there that I don't think are safe for podcast, right? So, uh, was it, uh, NSFP, <laughs> not safe for podcasting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was, um, that was an experience. Anyway, coming out of that, I realized that I'd been hiding away from this loneliness that I had within me, this like emptiness that I had, that I'd been using, um, alcohol and weed to get away from and partying and sex even. Um, and before that, which I'd given up when I was, I think, 22, um, or even 23, actually, I think I continued until about 23, um, pornography, um, which was a massive stimulant for me to um, get away from my issues, which ultimately didn't get rid of them. It just temporarily stimulated me. But um, anyway, getting back to the topic, uh, in Quebec, all this loneliness came up within me and I used, I tried using my girlfriend at the time as a leaning uh, stool for my loneliness. Unconsciously, of course, I loved her so much and cared for her so much and tried to do everything I could to um, make her happy. But ultimately, a lot of it was toxic as well due to the immense loneliness I felt inside and the immense sense of controlling that I tried to create for the relationship. It's like I tried to control her and manipulate her to act in the way that I wanted her to, to say the words I wanted her to, to do the things that I wanted her to, and to not do the things that I didn't want her to do. And just out of such deep fear and jealousy and uh, such a deep sense of worrying that she was going to leave me or cheat on me, even though she wouldn't hurt a fly. One of the most lovely people I, I've ever met. Um, genuinely, such a lovely girl. And um, her was freaking out anxiety went through the roof and I just remember many moments just having a panic attack at home breaking down at home hyperventilating randomly and nothing was there to hurt me nothing was actually a physical problem it was just completely a thought got into my mind and this one insy little devil of a thought took over my entire world great analogy is if you kick your pinky toe on the table side hurts like hell right but it's literally the center of your universe in that moment nothing else matters in that moment yet it's the tiniest insiest little thing it's like that this one little thought becomes the entire universe within my experience and i remember walking through a mall with my friend having a panic attack. I remember being in the bar with my girlfriend and seeing her talk to a guy, had a panic attack. 
right? Just all these random moments where just this thing would erupt within me, I'd hyperventilate and have to leave the scene. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. Uh, and I honestly, had, I suffered so much. I just felt so afraid of life. I, I just got to a point where I didn't know what to do and I was so confused. And that was the shift, people. That was where things shifted. I got so low that I got so sick of being stubborn about the fact that I knew how to heal. I got so sick of the idea that uh, like St. John's wort, uh, serotonin, natural serotonin medication, because I refused to take um, pharmaceuticals. Um, it's still a pharmaceutical, but it's not a prescripted, it's not prescription pharmaceuticals. Um, I, was, I was got so sick of the fact that these serotonin drugs weren't working. Well, they were doing something, but they weren't really solving the issue, right? They weren't solving what was actually the root of it. They were just solving the symptom. Anyway, with all this going on, I just finally put my foot down. I'm like, I'm going to do something about this. And that's what I did. I was following a lovely lady on Instagram. She goes by the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera. And she changed my life. I saw her posts, resonated with them, started doing a few things, some breathing practices. Um, I started upgrading my meditation practice, doing longer and deeper, because uh, I'd been meditating for many years up till then. And I started to dive deeper into this thing called mindfulness. I started to open myself up to this idea that I don't need to logically understand mindfulness. I just need to step into it openly and be willing to receive whatever's there. And that's what I did. And my life changed. From that moment onward, I just went through so many shifts and realizations and connections to, as to why I was experiencing all these things that I did. And ultimately, I eventually climbed myself, climbed myself out of this hole that I was in. After working with Dr. Nicola Pera and after working with many fantastic people that have helped me grow through uh, this experience of depression and anxiety, I can now easily say today, um, the last time I had a panic attack was in January of 2018. Um, and I haven't even been close to a panic attack since. Um, I, I, that depth of suffering that I experienced, it feels foreign. Honestly, I, of course I feel sadness. Of course I feel anxiety. It's the normal human emotions and experiences. And like I said, without them, I wouldn't know what happiness or peace is. So it's important that I still am able to experience those in a genuine way, in a kind and compassionate way. But there's no suffering that's needed there. Yeah, pain exists. But suffering... It's, it's, it's different, right? I chose rather than to reject myself when I experienced those, to accept myself. And this anxiety journey not only catapulted me forward in this mindfulness journey and this um, understanding of neurology journey, it actually helped me to uh, start to really connect the dots and solidify my understanding of these lessons that I've been constantly learning throughout my time. 
and to finally uh, actually open myself up to mindfulness. So ultimately, out of all these experiences that I've had, and those are just sort of the main three that stood out to me as I was prepping for this episode. Of course, there's been many more. Um, some, yeah, I've experienced other things that have been more profound for sure, but those were just sort of key moments in my life that helped me create these shifts. So what I'd encourage you to do even is to reflect on some key moments in your life, key moments in your own experience uh, of sadness, anxiety, depression, loneliness, bipolar issues, um, schizophrenia, whatever, whatever's come up for you. And ask yourself, what did that teach me? What can I learn from it? As John Maxwell, uh, he's dubbed the leadership guru of our time, he said this. He said, growth doesn't come from experience. It comes from reflection of experience. And that stumped me for a bit. So does that mean that just because I experienced anxiety and depression means I didn't grow? Actually, when I started to look at it, yeah, just experiencing it doesn't mean I get to grow. It's only when I reflect on the experience that I get to learn from the experience and then I get to grow. And that's when I started to realize, oh, wow. So that's why when there's people in jobs, they've been in that, in that workplace for 50 years, 46, 46 years, maybe longer. And then there's this young buck that comes through that's been there for half the time, sometimes quarter of the time, and they take the leader role. How? They've been there for less time. They've had far less experience. How have they been able to step into that? Because experience doesn't always equal growth. In fact, it doesn't. It's one's ability to reflect on what they've experienced, to learn from it, then they grow. So John Maxwell said it very well. <laughs> and so take that time and really reflect what did you learn? What did you get out of those experiences? It actually serves you to look back. Not to live in the past, but to reflect on the past. Not to live on the future, but to peek into the future. Right? And this is very important. There's a big difference. You're always present. Your body's always here. Your mind is the thing that wanders, right? So rather than living in the past, just take a moment and reflect and understand that it's actually beautiful to be able to look back and be able to learn from those things because there's so many lessons there that you will be able to take away and you will be able to apply to your current situation, your current life, your current struggle, whatever's there. And so you can leverage those past experiences so you can make a more beautiful current experience. And... Throughout all this, I took out, um, like how I got out was really three main areas. Um, I got out of my anxiety and my depression. One was meditation, going deep on a meditative practice. And I'll talk about meditation in more depth another time. But meditation um, doesn't mean sitting under a tree and chanting Om. <laughs> it, actually, it just simply means this. Meditation is a state. The ability to be present with oneself. That's all meditation is. So meditation can be practiced through walking. 
through listening to music, through swimming, through watching the boats on the ocean, watching the birds in the sky. It could be practiced through closing your eyes and sitting under a tree and chanting Om. <laughs> it can be practiced in any way. But meditation helped me understand what was going on within. And when I, it became a deeper practice, today I can sit down, close my eyes for a whole hour and meditate away in silence and find so much joy and exploration and adventure within and learn so much. And I come out so mindful and focused and present and so uh, efficient and effective with my work that I do after that because I'm so focused and present in that moment. The other thing I did was I opened myself up to coaching. For the last year and a half of my life, I've actually been working closely with a coach. And that has literally been one of the most abundant things I've ever invested in. Probably the most abundant thing. Because it's enabled me to literally expand myself in a way that I wasn't capable of doing on my own. Every time I'm about to slip or fall, he catches me and he lifts me up, right? And that's, I'm still investing in them. I still see massive value. In fact, more now than ever. Even though back then I needed to help more. It's more of the fact that I'm able to amplify and expand myself so much more than I would on my own. So through business and through personal development, self-development, I get to grow more ever expansively than ever before. Just because it's like, taking a number and squaring it rather than just multiplying it so much more powerful now the third thing that really has shifted me is a holistic approach to life and that means incorporating fitness that means incorporating uh, muscle work that means incorporating a holistic diet and taking care of my gut that means making sure i'm drinking the right water and the right amount of water that means ensuring that I'm having anti-inflammatory foods in my diet and a more alkaline approach to my food. Right? That means a lot of things. Giving myself me time, giving myself time to be social, giving myself time to be, be able to face fears, giving myself time to actually sit and watch Netflix and be like just blob, right? Giving myself a holistic approach to life. So vital. It's all so vital. And becoming a lot more natural focused than pharmaceutical focused, a lot more natural focused than trying to find a shortcut or the quick way out and understanding that everything takes time for a reason. So those really were the main things that helped me. So I encourage you to look, reflect as well on what are three things that have really helped you to expand in your life? Or even what are three things that you can do now that require minimal effort, three simple shifts that will help you to expand on your current life right now? These are powerful questions. Now, that sort of brings us to the end of this podcast. Uh, I went on a lot longer than I expected, but I really wanted to really just be vulnerable and to share just what's going, what's been going on in my life because I know that there's so many people out there that would resonate and relate in some shape or form and many people that might just learn so that they understand people that are close to them that experience mental health issues more so if you feel that this has resonated in some way or you feel that it might help someone please do both uh, me as this really helps me reach more ears and also 
maybe someone in your life a favor and share this. Because when I look back at how I was, I only wish I had access to another voice that spoke vulnerably about their mental health experiences. I only wish that I'd heard more about this and that it was normal and that there was a way to heal from this naturally rather than always needing to go the pharmaceutical route. I just wish there was something there during that time. Of course, there wasn't. Um, To my knowledge, I'm sure there were things there, but I just wasn't aware of them. Actually, I know there was, but I just wasn't aware of them. And uh, that's why I'm really encouraging you to share um, for not just the sake of this podcast so that we can reach more ears and so this message can be strengthened and that we can make the conversation around mental health more normalized, which is one of my biggest missions on this planet is that and to reduce suicide rates in this world, um, particularly focusing on New Zealand to start, right? Got to start somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got to start small, got to get there. Um, New Zealand's a pretty big girl, but um, within my lifetime, I know I'm going to um, at least in some way help make a dent. That's my that's my intention. And um, if you can also subscribe to this podcast and give it a rating, it also helps us reach more people. So that would be massively, massively appreciated. It takes literally 30 seconds, not even kidding you, just to go onto the platform that you're on and to rate it and to share it or to do whatever. And to share it on your Instagram or anything like that, that's massively helpful too. Um, But, you know, putting that aside, some intentions. I want to interview some amazing people going forward on this podcast. So if you know of anyone um please do reach out um, of people that you think would be great to have on this podcast or people that you'd like to connect with this podcast so that we can run an awesome episode uh if you are just simply wanting to reach out please reach out i'm, I'm very open i'm very chill <laughs> very friendly don't bite all right coach Kezza on instagram coach k-e-z-z-a all right coach Kezza. um or you can find this podcast uh instagram which is the pocket coach one word all this all the stuff is in the description of this episode and yeah you can just have a convo with me or if you're um, interested in what i'm running next year which is um like a a year-long coaching program uh for 2021 uh then you can reach out as well and there's gonna be more information coming out um within the next sort of month or so about it because it's going to be a very big intensive um like I said, I've been working with my coach for over a year and a half, or well over a year anyway, close to a year and a half. And it's literally the reason why I feel like I can thrive the way I do. And I want to be able to give that to others in a deep way. Because I'm a strong believer of working with people in a deep way, not in just a one-off moment. Because it's not the one-off moments that have changed my life. It's the in-depth and sustainable and prolonged work that I've done with people. So that's to come. I'm going to be working with um, with small groups and corporate leaders. So those are two different groups. I've also got a meditation course coming out next year. Stay tuned for that. And shh, quiet. I'm getting ready to release a book in 2022. <laughs> that's ages away. I know. Um, but anyway, that's coming as well. I've also got a retreat on the 14th to the 17th of January running in Kiri Kiri, okay, um, we're leaving from Auckland and driving up to Kiri Kiri as a group, and I'm so pumped for that, 
So you can find those details on my Instagram or on my website if you go to healingwithkids.com slash thrive. That's also going to be in my bio as well. So you can watch the video there. It's a four minute video of just the info of what the retreat's going to be like. It's going to be really cool and fun packed and deep diving packed experience. I'm so pumped for just to prep people to jump into 2021 with massive oomph so they can live epically by becoming epic (laughs) or each and every one of you are already epic it's more of a realization of that becoming epic uh, that makes one epic right so we really help you step into the realization of that by utilizing scientifically proven tools and techniques to uncover that so that one can make these neurological shifts and become ever expansive and move away from those limiting beliefs, those uh, self-sabotaging thoughts, uh, the lack of presence, lack of esteem and confidence, so that they can become more confident, raise their self-esteem and self-worth, and ultimately thrive in their life, which is why this retreat is called Thrive. And finally, last but not least, I'm going to be running a mini podcast for Kieran. This is a podcast, right? Yeah, well, I'm going to do another one because <laughs> why not? They're just going to be like little two to five minute snippets. I'm going to try to keep it between that. But between you and I, it might be a little bit longer. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best. And I'm, I'm dedicating for the next 30 days for all of December. I'm going to do a little snippet every day. I said it. It's happening lego because right now i'm looking at my laptop and today is the 30th of november so tomorrow is the first of december so let's do it team mini podcast every day for the next 30 days um i won't do it on the 31st maybe not we'll see (laughs) anyway guys um you can stay tuned for that i haven't yet thought of a name which i'll post in the uh description um and you can yeah find a link to that so there's just gonna be little bites that you can get on the go um yeah very easy to listen to and just little droplets of um of good old knowledge of gold and um, of great lessons and many stories of my own experiences and things that you can take away uh, very easily and apply then and there i'll bring in a little bit of science here and there as well um, as i feel like that's important and i'm always able to source the information that i give so if you ever ask if you're ever interested you can always ask um, all the stuff that i give is is going to be um sourced um anyway lots of love guys um yeah i've I've got so much compassion and love for you guys that listen for you mr or miss or missus (laughs) whoever's listening you are awesome you are so fantastic (laughs) and i have so much love for you i really do just remember that you are loved and i'm not just saying that I really mean that. That's not just a cliche saying. It's a genuine thing. You are freaking badass, all right? You're awesome. So live that way. Embody that. You've already got it within you. You just need to uncover it. It's within everyone. Just as I never thought it was within me, I uncovered it with help. You can too. You don't even need help. But it's always nice to have it. (laughs) Anyway, take care. Much love. Stay blessed. And I'll see you next time. Cheers.